Hello to all the rugby league diehards and welcome to another episode of Six to Go. My name is Tom Canfell and it's great to have you company. As we get into today's episode, you know how it works. We'll cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Ray Hadley, the man who went from cab driver to Australia's number one talkback radio host and the leader of the Continuous Call Team. As well as the Continuous Call Team and calling games on radio, he also was a commentator on the Nine Network as well. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Ray Hadley. I'm joined by Ray Hadley as the next guest of the CCO podcast. Ray, how are you doing, mate? Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks for inviting me along. It's good to be with you. Mate, it's a pleasure to have you on, and I'll get things kick-started with the send-offs in recent times. We've had a couple of send-offs in the past two weeks, Carl Orton and Will Kennedy. Do you agree with them being send-offs, first of all? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a person that's believed ever since I started broadcasting rugby league where to retain that send-off rule for the worst possible incidents. I think the one in, in the instance of Carl Wharton, it, it had to be a send-off. Uh, he spit, not only did he pick him up, he speared the player into the ground, which can result in a spinal injury. Uh, the other one with young uh, William Bubba Kennedy was a reaction, but it was one that could have been easily avoided. Uh, there was no damage done, and um, he could have done some damage, not as bad as Lawton's tackle, but I think both deserve to be sent from the field. But Brunella proved that after losing that player at the 16th minute, and then another player in the second half, when they reduced to 11 men, you can still win football matches if you've got the right plan in place. And uh, so, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a person who's always believed in the send-off rule, I hope it remains in the game. I actually thought in relation to the Jesse Ramian sin bin in the second half that that could have been a send-off as well. Uh, do you think the, the refs were a bit gun-shy there to send Cronulla down to 11 men? Uh, I'm positive they were in the back of their mind. And Graham Ennisley, the operations manager of the NRL, has said as much uh, after the event said that it probably deserved the send-off. But I, I, look, they're not robots, referees, they're human beings. And uh, you start to think about having sent a player off in the 16th minute and then dispensing another one in the second half. And um, anyway, they were penalised to the extent they got, you know, a player missing for 10 minutes. And then he caught the longer suspension than the other player anyway. So any injustice was probably done. In relation to dismissals from the field in general, would you like to see a change, whether it be a five-minute sin bin or... Um, any other changes? Well, I think if we go back to five minutes and ten minutes like we have over varying periods during my time in the game, we'll have arguments about whether they should have given them ten, could have given them five. I mean, there'll be inconsistencies. The one thing I know, having called the game since 1987, Tom, is uh, you know, there are there'll be someone blowing from either side about what they should have done and what they didn't do. Um, so, look, I, I think it's less complicated make it ten minutes. Uh, then you won't have the argument on Monday from all the uh, catchback quarterbacks about, you know, oh, that should have been 10, not 5, as opposed to that should have been a send-off, not 10. So I, I, don't, I think you're looking for perfection that we're never going to achieve, so I'd leave it where it is. I certainly agree. And I, I have heard some uh, people suggest uh, an ice hockey-type rule recently, whereas, I'm not sure if you're aware, but in the ice hockey, if they send a player off for two minutes or five minutes, then as soon as the opposition score, then that player comes back on. Uh, to me, it, 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 probably, it probably defeats the purpose of um, having a five or ten minute sim bit if you're going to do that, doesn't it? Well, ice hockey players should be in a cage like <laughs> some sort of wrestling federation. I mean, I've watched a little bit of ice hockey from time to time. It, it appears the only thing that's not bad is picking up the puck and hitting someone <laughs> on the head with it. Um, 
it's a very rough and tumble sport, very aggressive and suits the markets that it's in, in the United States and Canada particularly. But no, I don't think we've got anything to learn from ice hockey about rules. <laughs> The Storm play Penrith this Saturday night, in which looks set to be the highlight of Magic Round. There's no doubt in my mind these are the two best teams in the competition. Uh, if you're buying shares in one of those clubs to win a premiership this year, who are you taking? Uh, I'm probably a, a Penrith share market buyer, I think. Uh, as long as, I said last year, as long as the halfback remained fit and well after that problem with Origin, and he was by the time we got to and had an operation after the grand final, uh, and it, it comes down, they're that close, these two teams. I think they're by far and away the best teams in the comp. It comes down to personnel. Now, Pappenhausen's is missing from the weekend, and that probably tips the scales in the favour of uh, Penrith, I think. And, and the other thing that is really important in this, they came off that shock loss to Parramatta last week. Now, uh, they were defending a great winning sequence, and I think they'll be very keen to get back on that winning sequence against the Melbourne Storm. But, you know, the coach of Melbourne Storm is probably one of the best I've ever seen in the game and maybe you can come up with a recipe to upset them. What makes these two teams just a, a, a bit of a class above everyone else? It looks like they're in a different league at the moment. Well, I'd say the coaches. I think Cleary and Bellamy are by far and away the best coaches in the game. And Bellamy, um, I've had a fair bit to do with him over a period of time, Craig, and uh, called him as a player and then has watched him as an assistant coach and then, you know, over the last long period of time as the head coach at Melbourne and I think he's a fairly unique human being. He can identify talent, he can come up with game plans, he can do all sorts of things and I mean he's not one dimensional, he's not sort of laconic and laid back like Bennett. Um, he's emotional, he gets he, you know, he gets in, invested in the game during the course of the game. Um, he's not someone that the players want to upset, I know that, um, because there's an edge to him and uh, you know, he's aware that you can't be the player's mate. You've got to be their boss. And uh, I think that, combined with a whole range of factors, he's just unique personality. And Nathan Cleary is a separate entity altogether. Um, you know, a, a quality player in his day and uh, came up through the coaching ranks and, you know, been there, been away, come back. And I think we're seeing the best of him now. He's a, a much more mature coach. And that goes with years in the game. But I think they're standouts of the coaches in the game, those two at the moment. And they've got the, the players that you need. I mean, Melbourne have got outstanding talent. And obviously, they're very good at identifying young players who can turn into sensational players. And the Penrith pathways is exactly the same. And, and they've got a whole range of young players all together at the same time, you know. And, and that's was success at Melbourne previously with Billy Slater, Cameron Smith being, I think, born on the same day. But... You know, you've got to have the same age players hitting their straps at the same time and both those clubs are in that position at the moment. Do you think Craig Bellamy will go around again? Uh, I don't know what else he'd do. <laughs> um, I mean, he's a pretty simple sort of fellow. He comes from Portland, um, just over the Blue Mountains, past Lithgow. Uh, he's dear, sweet mother. Uh, he's, he's a really... He, he reminds me a lot of Gibson, but in a different mould. Gibson was totally unemotional. Um, in terms of how he worked the game as opposed to Craig, but there's a laconic nature to him. I, his mum, Betty, used to listen to my weekday radio program on 2LT in Lithgow, and he phoned me one day and said, oh, you got that CD that you're raising money for motor neuron? He said, mum loves it. And I said, well, I'll get her a copy of it, and I'll send her a couple up there. You know, I knew she'd listen to the program because I got notes from him saying, oh, mum loves the program. And so I set up the CDs, and he rang me about a week later. He said, I've got a problem. I said, what's the problem? 
He said, Mum hasn't got a CD player. We're going to get Harvey Norman and buy one now. So she got an old-fashioned record player. She built our records. <laughs> you know, and, and so we've, we've had that sort of relationship. And I recently wrote to him a, a note that, you know, I, just to say to him, I think that of all the coaches I've seen over a long period of time, I, I view him as the best coach the game's had in the modern era. I can't go back to the great coaches from the 50s and 60s, but I can go back to the last 40 years. And I think that he... Uh, He's probably without peer when it comes to coaching, and I like him. I like him a lot. I think he's a really, really good fella. And you know, and there are plenty of other good fellas in there, but him and Cleary stand at the top of the uh, coaching tree at the moment. Ray, moving on to expansion, the Dolph come. The Dolphins come in next year, which creates a 17-team competition. I would imagine broadcasters would like to hurry this along to 18 teams as quickly as possible to get an extra game. Where should they go for an extra team? Well, I'm sure Fox and Channel 9 are desperate for you know, more teams because they get more product, and the product is king when it comes to both Fox Sport and Channel 9 on a Thursday, Friday, and Sunday night. Um, I, I don't think Perth... I think Perth and, and, and uh, Adelaide are off the agenda. Um, you've got to find somewhere, Tom, that has the economic support. Um, you know, and Newcastle... Obviously, they've been there since 88 with the economic support. Uh, Canberra, the same since 82, and the Steelers now St. George Illawarra. Brisbane since 88. And given there's another team coming into southeastern Queensland, that probably caps them off with the Titans, the Broncos, and the Dolphins. Um, there's probably a, you know an argument to find somewhere between Brisbane and Townsville for a team. Um, I, I don't think there's anywhere else in New South Wales you could look. Um, some people want to resurrect the Bears, but have them not of North Sydney Oval but playing in a regional centre like Dubbo or something like that. But you've got to have the infrastructure in terms of the corporate support, you know, to make sure it's a big business rugby league in 2022 and into the next decade it'll be even bigger. So you, you've got to have that corporate support. So, um, you know, I, maybe, just maybe regional New South Wales, uh, you know, mid-north coast, Port Macquarie, Cuffs, Coffs Harbour, that region, which are growth areas. Um, maybe somewhere rocky, somewhere at Rockhampton, you know, on the way up to Townsville. Uh, but it, look, put it this way, I wouldn't like to be making the decision because I think it's fraught with pitfalls, as we found with Perth during the Super League days and the rest of it. And there'll be certain people say that Perth deserve another opportunity, but it's a, it's a long way to travel. Um, you can get to New Zealand quicker from the East Coast than you get to Perth, uh, uh, it'll be a big decision when they finally make it. And obviously they'll make it. There'll be an 18th team as sure as night follows day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you think Redcliffe were given enough time to sort of get their act together and put up, put together a team? Because they, they have been struggling to get particularly marquee signings as of late. Well, I, I mean, that was down to them. They knew the rules when they ended the debate. They were desperate to beat Ipswich and other centres that were throwing their hat into the ring. Um, if they get Munster, all that'll be... Uh, laid to rest, I mean, and I think they're with a big show. I, 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 I see today where Melbourne's looking at a three-year deal at around 750 a year. I think he's probably a million-dollar player for the Dolphins, you know, over a long period of time. And if they come up with the right sort of money for a five-year deal with $5 million or more attached to it, I think he'll be their marquee signing. And once they sign him, the others will follow suit. The other players will follow suit. I mean, I think most players and player managers at the moment are just waiting to see what signings there are, but he's the marquee one they want. They missed out on Ponga, 
Um, and so he's, he's the target and he's the one that's readily available. Are you concerned that we don't have enough talent for 18 teams? Oh, well, my, my dear departed friend Bob Fulton and I used to discuss this on a regular basis and he was of the opinion we don't and um, I was of the opinion that maybe we did and uh, it was a subject of many discussions on many versions of the continuous call team. Uh, look, I, I think that there will always be the haves and the have-nots. There'll be a separation of talent from the top eight to the bottom eight or the bottom nine, the top nine. Um, but in terms of, you know, what it's worth commercially to the game, I think you've got to have it. Whether, you know, the argument about, well, we don't have enough quality first graders, well, we'll pick a few more blokes and find out whether they are quality first graders. Uh, but I think the argument about the financial security of the game long term with more teams outweighs the argument about whether there are enough players for four, you know, 400 first graders as opposed to 350 or you know, 500 as opposed to 450. But I, I think it's just an argument that is continually had and there'll be people saying when they do get the 17th and 18th teams and there's blowouts, oh, well, you know, but they had the same argument in 1967 when Penrith and Granada were introduced. They had the same argument in 82 when Canberra and Illawarra were introduced and they probably had the same argument to a lesser extent about Newcastle and Brisbane in 88. So it's a perennial argument which has no answer if you're going to try and expand the competition. Ray, I had Andy Raymond on a couple of weeks ago and I asked him what makes a good caller. So I'll ask you the same question to you. What makes a good commentator? Well, I didn't uh, say for myself and Ray Warren, who start their lives as race callers, um, we have a decided advantage, I think, over those who haven't trained as race callers because identifying 18 horses over 1,200 metres is a lot harder than 26 players for 80 minutes, I can tell you from my experience. So it's that, but... I think there's a passion involved to be a broadcaster. You've got to want to do it. And I wanted to do it since I was a very young bloke. I wanted to be a race caller, effectively. And I turned into a rugby league caller in 1987. And since then, I've done seven Olympics and a whole range of other things, as well as poor football. Um, but I, I just think you've got to want it. You've got to want it. You've got to work hard at it. Now, in radio, as a distinct what what Andy's done in TV at Fox, radio, the, most, the king of the call is giving the score. Uh, John Brennan, who trained me when I came from race calling at 87 to football, he said, son, how many times are you going to give the score? And I said, oh, I don't know. He said, what about at least once a minute? Well, that's 80 times in two hours. He said, that's right. He said, that's the bare minimum. That's the bare minimum. Now, it's funny, I was listening to a radio call on my own network the other night. I was out driving and uh, I phoned the studio. I'd been listening for four minutes. I'd had the score. I said, tell old mate, I'm listening. I want you to score 10 times in the next five minutes. Um, and, and that's apart from identifying players and where they are on the field, whether they're in the north-eastern corner on the 20-metre line, the halfway line, the attacking 50, the defensive 50. I mean, the score, you can never give the score enough in radio commentary. You can never give it enough uh, because people tune in and tune out. They want it, you know, the attention span isn't long. You've got to give them a score every 30 seconds to 60 seconds but just you know being able to identify players and a passion for the game I think is a couple of the key ingredients it's funny you say that a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't think about that instinctively because the score is always on, on the TV is apart yeah. from, apart from the scores do you commentate the TV and radio differently at all oh yeah I mean when I started doing TV for channel 9 about a decade ago 
Um, I think one of the producers said, Ray, you're on TV, they could see it. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, it's pretty obvious. So he said, you don't need to call ball by ball. Um, you know, it, it, it can be a more relaxed commentary until you build a crescendo when something exciting happens like a try. But it's funny, you know, you should mention that because if you listen to, listen to the AFL football call, it's basically a radio call. So it's what people are used to. So in Melbourne, when it was VFL and now AFL, if you listen to any of the great AFL commentators, they call it like a radio call. They call every play. Uh, whereas if you go to rugby league or even rugby union on TV, it's not the same sort of fluid call that you'd have if you're calling AFL. So it's just funny. I've, I've always noticed that, you know, um, when you watch AFL, they call it like a radio call, even though it's all you know, funny. So it's what the audience is used to, and rugby league audiences are used to not stating the obvious, <laughs> that it's unfolding in front of their very eyes. And that was probably the biggest change I had to make. And then I became quite adept at going from TV to radio and, and harnessing myself by just shutting up when I was on TV and then going back to what I did on radio where it was rapid-fire calls with a whole range of more information. Do you have a preference of what, you, what you'd prefer doing? Oh, radio. Look, yeah, radio's where I started and it's probably where I'll finish when I finish my talkback career. I'll probably go back to calling a bit of football somewhere. Um, but yeah, radio is where, I mean, I think I'm a better radio caller than a TV caller, so um, having been trained for you know most of my 34 years in radio and just a few years in TV, but the other, the other thing is that radio is far more demanding than TV calling. You know, you can, you can get through a TV call, even if you're not in the best of health or the top of your game, but if you're going to do 80 minutes of radio, and, and, you know, you've got to have a strong voice and, and uh, you know, a powerful set of lungs. At the end of 80 minutes of calling football on radio, you're just about rung out. I can call football, you know, I could do three games in a row on TV and not be rung out, but I do one game of rugby league and I'm just about bugging. Is there one game that you've called that sticks out in your mind? Oh, jeez, it'd be too many to think of. I, I was figuring the other day how many I've done. I've, I'm, I'm coming up to 34 grand finals, which will be the most number of grand finals by a radio caller. Frank I did 33, the great commentator from the 60s, 70s and into the early 80s. And that was because he did two replays, Manly and Cronulla and St George and Parramatta. I've done, I'll have done 34 by the time I get to the grand final this year. But I'd say the 89 grand final, Canberra-Valmain, uh, a state of origin match in about... 94 at the Sydney Football Stadium when Mark Coyne scored that incredible try, but we, we did a tally for some reason about a month ago, and I've done probably two and a half thousand games, so it's hard to remember all of them, but I, I can tell you one thing, I've enjoyed doing every one of them. There some when the scores have been lopsided are much harder than the ones that are tight because you've got to try and give people a reason to listen to you when the score's 40 points to 10, 10 to go, but yeah. And that is hard work, but um, no, nah, you know those two stand out a grand final in the state of origin. But RG, you know Jonathan Thurston's um, grand final for North Queensland. Um, you know there's some great moments in the game that I've been fortunate to be part of. Wally Lewiston, state of origin. Andrew Johnson, state of origin. Alfie Langer, state of origin. You know just watching great, great players, great players, and I love watching great players, and we're blessed with plenty of them even in the modern day. Being part of the continuous call team, what makes a good on-air team, in your opinion? Uh, mateship, friendship, 
uh, so that you can have a bit. I mean, we the continuous call team prior to us doing what we did, and we did it from the year 2000 uh, and one onwards because we had to. We didn't have the right. So Peter Fulligos and I, Bob Fulton, sat down and we said, well, "I've got to do a six-hour football program without calling the football." So we decided that we'd had all those years of the Super League war that we we tend to have a bit of fun. And it started in 2000, even though we'd been on air at that time for 13 years together, doing, like, serious footy. And then we just evolved from 2000, 22 years ago, to where it is today, even though I'm not a permanent member of the team. I still call Elizabeth football from time to time. But it's about having fun, and whether it's, you know, with original members of the team, Peter Falengos, Bob Fulton, myself, and then Stephen Blocker-Rach and Daryl, but now, more recently, Piggy Riddell and other people get involved, and... It's about, you know, having a mutual respect for each other and, and, and being able to take the mickey out of each other and then at the end of the six hours, laugh about it and move to the next stage. Um, and that's how we survived for so long because, basically, when the terms of Bob and, and Peter, who were the original members of the call team, and I'm the only one left now, it, it, there was a, you know, I loved both of them. They were my best mates. And to sit in an area... You know, just like you sit at a bar or at a table at home having a yarn with your best mates, it's a pretty good way to spend a Sunday and a Sunday. And then, you know, at the end of the conversation, you're out calling some footy and then go back to having some fun with your mates. It's, you know, there was no secret formula. I mean, uh, Daryl, you know, used to say, uh, you know, oh, we, we spent hours doing preparation. I used to spend hours doing preparation and get in there. And, and Daryl at Wall said at 5 to 12 and say, what are we going to talk about today? And I said, I'm bugger if I know, but we'll just make it up as we go along. So, you know, people would say, oh, you must have rehearsed that and all that. And we didn't. It was just, we the microphone came on at 5 past 12 every Saturday and Sunday and we just went and kept going. And, and you know, one thing is, and we, Peter Falingos had a catch cry at one stage. What's this got to do with football? I'd say nothing. But we're having fun. Just be quiet and enjoy it, you know. And then we'd, uh, we had uh, the Robertson brothers, who were still mates of mine, to do stuff for me on a weekday program, doing various ditties and the famous "Fooey Fooey Moy Moy" song. And and you know, every time there was an interesting league, they'd come up with a song that we'd hammer for a couple of weeks and then move to another song. And so, and, and what we found, strangely enough, when I first started calling football back in the '80s, when you did the game at three o'clock, and there was no night football back then, it was a Friday night, but not on Saturday and Sunday you'd have a massive influx of listeners. So you might have an average of 80,000 a quarter hour and then start calling the game, you go to 140, 150. Then Fox got embedded and what we were discovering was when we started calling the game, we'd have a drop off in listeners because they'd go to TV, you know, because it's obvious they want to watch it, you know, as opposed to in the car, they might listen to it, but if they're at home, they'd turn the TV on as I would or anyone would. So we had that to overcome. But, you know, we had these massive figures at the start of the game which were sort of dwindling because we had more people listening to the fun and games than actually the broadcast of the game. So we had to adjust that. And, and, and you never count that because you're not going to get it with Fox or, or TV or all the other platforms. I mean, people are watching games of football on their mobile phones now. Um, it's, it's much, much different. But, um, yeah, the formula was just get in there, have some fun and... You know, it, it, it used to be a bit like, I suppose, I'm a fan of Seinfeld. It was a bit like an episode of Seinfeld. You spend six hours talking about nothing. Um, whether it was Chinese restaurants or food we had the night before or things that happened in our family. And, 
you know, stuff like that. It was just, uh, it evolved. And, and the guys that do it now, headed up by Mark Levy and, and Daryl still there. He's the oldest person alive, still doing football commentary. And Mark Riddell and Paul Gallen's part of the team and other young blokes get involved as well. I mean, they're still doing the same sort of thing we did when we started this in the year 2000. They're doing it quite successfully. They've had record figures this year in terms of their ratings and I've left it in very capable hands. Did you know it would be successful when you first started? No. No. I mean, because what happened, we lost the rights. Um, I'd had a blue with various people during Super League, and at the end of 2000, they stripped to you of the rights and sold them exclusively to John Single with the 2GB. So the managing director of 2 U is a bloke called John Condy, and he's a very mild-mannered, sort of quietly spoken fellow, and he said, Ray, what are we going to do and I said, well, we'll just go doing a program. He said, we don't have the rights, right? And I said, yeah, well, we'll, we'll be right. And, and he said, oh, you're confident then? I said, yeah, we'll be fine, Mr. Condit. We'll be fine. Don't worry about it. We'll sort it. So I went to Bozo and um, Chippy, and I said, what are we going to do? And I said, bugger it, mine, huh? And I said, all right, we're going to start thinking about it. Well, so in the first six months, I, I'd pretend to be in a hot air balloon calling games and Singer was issuing Supreme Court writs. Really funny, I ended up working with him. And, you know, I was illegally calling the game and then I'd be crossing the people, pretending they were inside the ground, giving me scores and mobile phones had just about come into vogue then. And anyway, finally we... And then we'd get Locker to do a... We'd get a really serious half-time summary and we'd be all laughing our heads off with blocking, you know. It's a real footy head talking about it all. And we'd just be saying, yeah, that's a good block. And he'd laugh and we'd laugh. And, uh, and um, it, it just evolved. We thought, oh, well, we're not going to be able to... Because Singer kept issuing these writs from the Supreme Court against us for invoking his rights, for invading his rights. And so I just gave up in the end. I thought, oh, well, we'll just keep having fun. And then the first survey came out in 2001 and we blitzed them. So Singer, when everyone at GB said, oh, that's an anomaly, it just, that's, that's the way it's happened, you know, people are still listening to it, they'll come to us. So by the end of 2001, we won all eight surveys, all eight rugby league surveys, and then got to 2002, and, you know, we won them again. Um, and so, and that's, well, well, 2000, actually, in 2001, we won them again, so it was that two, I lost it after 99, I said 2000, but after 99, so... Um, yeah, at the end of you know, end of 2001, I came to me and said, "Oh well, we can't beat you. Why don't you come across here?" And I'd already been sacked by two UE. They sort of decided they didn't want to. They, Southern Cross had taken over from uh, the Lamb family, which owned it, and they decided they wanted to dispense with me. So I went to went to Singo and GB, and I've been there ever since. So I spent 19 years at two um, UE, and now I've been 21 years at two GB. In the 40 years I've been at two places. So. And um, we went to uh, 2GB, started calling it football and still won the ratings. So, I mean, I think that period in 2000 and 2001 was probably the best period I've ever had because we took great delight in jamming it up the New South Wales and NRL, ARL. We took the rights of us and it was embarrassing for all concerned because Singer was getting every game called. He made a commitment to call Thursday, Friday, three games on Saturday, two on Sunday. And they had all this coverage, but no one was listening to listen to us. And uh, and so we had, uh, you know, we had great joy in the fact that the people who tried to destroy us actually made us stronger. And most of those people have been gone from the game now, and we survived. 
Finally, Ray, I'd like to ask you about the future of sports media. We're seeing the world of podcasting getting bigger and bigger, and you see in America it's certainly exploded. And in Australia, I feel like uh, our reliance is catching up. Uh, sorry, we are catching up on our reliance on podcasting here in Australia. What are your thoughts on sports media going forward, in particular radio and podcasting? Well, in, in terms of podcasting, Tom, it's about markets. I mean, where it explodes, uh, we would have large populations, and therefore you can justify, you know, the sort you, you, you can get, and I don't mean to be derogatory, but you can get, you know, really big names involved in podcasting, and that's because you can pay them really big money because you're talking to an audience of 300, 400 million. But in Australia, we've got an audience, a total audience available to us of 25 to 26 million. So the amount of revenue available is, is you know, not as much for obvious reasons. Yep. Now, I, I, you know, we, we do podcasting of my weekday program and all the rest of it and highlights and things like that, which are put on various podcast platforms. And I know from my own experience, a lot of people that don't listen to me night as well, I'll get reaction from them three days later because they're in the car and listening to a podcast. I'm fully aware of the impact it can have, you know, on that. But in terms of, you see, it's funny. I'm old enough to have remembered, and, and you're not, but um, when video cassettes came into being and all these video stores opened, everybody said, oh, that's the end of the movie theatres. Movie theatres are gone. No one will go to the movies anymore. You can buy a cassette, take it home and watch it. Well, of course, then cassettes were replaced by DVD, which were in turn replaced by digital media. And... Um, Everyone still goes to the movies. Everyone lines up for gold class and everyone lines up to see the blockbuster movies at the movie theatre because it's a different experience. And the video stores actually are gone now. The rental video stores disappeared before the movie houses disappeared. And when SM Radio came in in the 1980s, everyone said, oh, that's the end of, that's the end of AM Radio. They're gone. AM Radio's gone. Well, on the Nine Network, which is predominated by... Uh, AM Radio, 2GB's the number one station in its market in Sydney and 3AW's the number one market in Melbourne against all the FM stations. So, you know, those who say things will change and, and it'll be different, I mean, if you look at history, it hasn't quite worked out that way. I would suggest that as we move to the digital age, and I'm too old to be worrying about it, but... There'll be different ways of listening to you, to me, or people like me, because I'll be retired, but people like me um, that we haven't even thought of. You know, you, you'll have a, a chip in your ear or something to listen to it, and, you know, you'll be able to pick your commentator. You know, there'll be, there'll be you know, different commentators doing it, you know, not just for commercial media, but for other forms of media into the future, and it'll be far different. doesn't mean it'll be any less exciting or any more exciting. It'll just be different. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a big enough space in the media for a whole range of other people to, to participate. And podcasting and, uh, and things like it will just be part of that mainstream media. And you'll find it eventually uh, where podcasting might start being owned by individuals that eventually, you know, big networks, whether it's, you know, the radio networks like Nine, which is Nine Entertainment taking TV or Fox, or, you know, they'll end up taking it all over. And, you know, they'll, they'll be, because they've got the, 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 the major platforms to distribute it, you know, and they can make a quit out of it. And so, you know, that's where it'll go into the future. It'll still be strong, but it'll be centred around major media companies. So that, you know, like Channel 9's gone from being a TV station, now they're having a, uh, a media platform via 
commercial radio in the Nine Radio Network and also the newspapers, The Age and The Herald particularly. And eventually they'll be a major podcaster, as will News Limited, if they're not already, as will, you know, other major media players. Channel 7 and the Stokes family, no doubt, will be involved in all of that. And, you know, it'll just be, um, you know, the the domain of larger organisations as opposed to small little podcast outstations. That's how I see it going. Well, Ray, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Six to Go podcast today. I can't thank you enough, mate, for coming on. Thanks so much. All right. Well, keep doing a big job and someone will come along and put a big fat check in your pocket one day and say, we want your podcasting as part of our company. So good luck to you. All the best, mate. Big thanks to Ray for coming on the show today. It was a big thrill for me personally that he was keen to come on. And of course, you can catch him on his radio show weekdays on 2GB, as well as a continuous call team. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on Twitter at TCanfell. And don't forget to give the 6 to go Facebook page a like as well. My name is Tom Canfell. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And until next time, this has been the 6 to go podcast and that is full time.